Classic Rock Files on 94.3 The Drive. Winnipeg's Classic Rock. Kelly Parker with 94.3 The Drive Music Director Mike Young. Hi, Kelly. So last night you and I were texting back and forth. It was when this uh, news broke of a guy that uh, you were a big fan of specifically and you had been worried about him for a couple of weeks as he was hospitalized. John Prine passed last night after a battle and complications with COVID-19. I believe it was pneumonia. Yeah, that's the way a lot of people who have passed uh, due to COVID-19 are being billed because it's not the COVID-19 necessarily that is the cause of death, but things that have happened because they've contracted it. So pneumonia is a very prime example yeah. uh, due to the respiratory effects. I'm a big fan of Prine, and I wasn't always. I just, you know, well, he's one of those artists that you kind of get into over time. No one starts their musical journey by being a John Prine fan. You know, right. you get there through other ways. And John Prine is a guy that is so well-respected in the world of music. His influences are everywhere. He's such a wordsmith and poet with his lyrics, and his songwriting ability is, is so next level uh, in what he mm -hmm. was able to communicate via his songs. So simple in execution, but the way he was able to do it, like so few people can actually do it. Like Bob Dylan's one of those people. Yeah. You know, very few people can live up to that standard. And his story is great. You know, he, got, he was always working as a mailman in Chicago. Yeah. And played music on the side, you know, as just a fan of music. And I like to write songs and play them for my friends and family, maybe. Uh, but he got dared to go up on an open mic night. And soon after that, Roger Ebert, the film critic, saw yeah. him at a folk club called The Fifth Peg. And he wrote a review after seeing him saying, Singing Mailman delivers a powerful message in few words. And that helped launch his career. And that first album he released in 1971, his self-titled album, that belongs into discussion with any great debut album, whether it be Zeppelin or Sabbath or Boston, any great debut album. You listen to that album and look at the songs that are on it from John Prine, if you, if you know his music, and that's like a greatest hits album. Yeah. Song after song after song, and it featured a song called Angel from Montgomery. A crusher, absolute crusher of a tune. And this is a guy, John Prine, 1971, he's writing songs for other people without knowing he's even doing it. Because mm -hmm. that song starts off with, I am an old woman named after my mother. And John Prine's not a woman, so he's writing it as a character. Yeah. And Bonnie Raitt went on to pick up this song a few years later, and mm -hmm. that became a big hit for her. And that's when people started to hear the name John Prine, like he wrote this song. But mm -hmm. it's just as good when John Prine does it. Like, he's got so many songs. Sam Stone from that album, covered by Johnny Cash. Uh, Hello in There, a song about an elderly couple. It's just heart-wrenching in places. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of my favorites, we've talked about her before, Brandy Carlisle. Very, very character and story-oriented songs. I was going to ask you, why isn't he considered on the same level as Bob Dylan? And the only thing I can come up with is probably because Bob Dylan had changed the game 10 years before. Yeah, and so and it had already been done in that way. And Bob Dylan had radio success. He had uh, this next level of yeah. following. And he was a part of some big musical events, you know, across his time. Mm -hmm. But toe-to-toe, -to -toe, John Prine could stand with Bob Dylan. And again, you go back to that first album and the first track, Illegal Smile, which is a more of a tongue-in-cheek humorous song mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, makes you smile, makes you laugh a little bit. And then he goes political uh, on the second side of the album uh, with a song called Your Flag Deckle Won't Get You Into Heaven Anymore. Like, he's talking yeah. about the, the war. That the was Viet the Vietnam, Vietnam War. war. Yeah. yeah, and that was something that he saw when he was walking around as a mailman, and there was an insert in some sort of flyer of, of American flag uh, bumper stickers or decals, and he saw them going up all over the neighborhood as he did his rounds. So he takes something like that, a little nugget like that, and uh, he gets political with it with one of his classics. And I, like I said, I can't recommend you enough. If you're going to do anything this weekend, if you've got 45 minutes to spare, listen to that debut self-titled album. Uh, you will 
you will immediately become a fan. You know, it's it's folk music, but it's you know if you like Johnny Cash, if you like Bob Dylan, if you like singer songwriter stuff, and you can sit down and appreciate the lyrics, he's he's just a treasure trove waiting to be opened. Sure, um, along with uh, so many of the well. Yeah, Bruce Springsteen, as you mentioned, uh, Chris Christopherson, just uh, absolutely amazing artist. And he kept releasing music throughout his entire life, despite the fact that he got cancer twice, once in his neck. And that's why you look at old pictures of John Prine, the pictures of him late in his life, and his he looked very different is because he had a throat cancer, which mm-hmm. also changed his voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why his, his appearance altered over the years. He had lung cancer, uh, had to have stent surgery for for his heart later in life, but he kept going. And in 2018, he released an album called The Tree of Forgiveness, which had multiple Grammy nominations and had his highest Billboard chart debut ever at number five. Yeah. So, like, he was more popular in his later years because of all these people that had been singing his praises for years, covering his songs, that so many people had finally began to catch on. Like, he was headlining festivals in places. Yeah. Uh, so it's a tragic loss, 73 years old. He had, he had so much more to give. You can go online on Twitter and check out all the outpouring of respect from artists that you would not expect. Last night I saw Paul Stanley tweeting mm-hmm. about him. Like, yeah. it's crazy how many artists he touched. John Prine, gone at 73. Moving along to happier news that we can uh, look forward to. This is kind of, I would say, the golden time for rock documentaries because so many have been coming over over the last uh, year or so, especially, or the last couple of years. But because in our normal lives we're so busy and we've got so much to watch, some of them slip through the cracks. But now people have got more time to watch them. It's awesome how many are out there. I've watched so many over the last few weeks. And we can look forward to another one. A guy whose name you might not know, Eddie Kramer, but he is an acclaimed studio engineer and he'll be the subject of a documentary called From the Other Side of the Glass that's coming out. Yeah, so many documentaries are done about the artists themselves, but this is nice to see one uh, who sits on the other side of the glass, so it's a perfect title. Eddie Kramer worked with the Beatles, worked with Hendrix, worked with Zeppelin, worked with the Stones, uh, actually grew up in uh, South Africa, then moved to London in the early part of his life and started his career in the 60s. He, of course, uh, famous for doing Led Zeppelin II and Physical Graffiti along with the... uh, first five Zeppelin albums. Those mm-hmm. are two of the probably the standouts from that first five. And uh, the engineer in the process of recording, in case you're not up to speed on this, the producer is the boss, makes the final decisions and directs things. But the engineer is the one who is in charge of capturing the sounds for guitar tone, for example, uh, for John Bonham, in the case of Led Zeppelin, for his drum tone. The fact that when they were recording at that old mansion, Headley Grange, for example, they've got John Bonham in this big stairwell. That's the engineer at work trying to capture these sounds. So that's how important he was. Yeah, he did uh, all of Hendrix's albums, uh, even the uh, Woodstock, which is, this is a difficult one because it was a live album early on in the process of making live albums. He did the three LP Woodstock live record capturing the uh, songs from that historic festival as well. In the worst possible conditions too. No date on when it's going to come out yet, but it's also going to be paired with a couple of things. Uh, There's a filmed exhibition while the documentary is in production where he, uh, Kramer was also a photographer. That'll showcase images he's captured of the artists. And then uh, a book is also going to come out. uh, Kramer's coffee table book. It's finally coming out. Okay. um, Because it's going to feature 300 of his photographs. Rock stars from John Lennon to Keith Richards to Jimmy Page. So he was taking photos all this time while he was in the studio of these artists. So we're going to have a lot of cool studio pics to uh, enjoy. And uh, we finally get uh, Cosmo Kramer's coffee table. <laughs> awesome. Look forward to that. And finally, Joe Walsh and John Entwistle were buddies. And there's a new book out, actually came out yesterday, the biography 
sanctioned by his family, by the way, of John Entwistle called The Ox. And in it, Joe Walsh talks about his friendship with Entwistle and his regret at the end of Entwistle's life that they weren't closer and why. He talks specifically about the last time they met, which was at the uh, NAM Music Convention in L.A. in 2002. And he said, I spent a while with John in the dressing room and we went out to eat. And I noticed he was having trouble hearing. Also, he was not making sense like the John I had known. I didn't know if he was just too drunk or whatever. At one time, that's how all of us rockers would get to be late, late at night. Personally, I went on in that same way until 94. And by then, I had turned into a full-blown alcoholic and cocaine crazy person. But I hit bottom before I OD'd and died. A lot of my brothers went the other way. Once I got sober, John and I were living in totally different worlds. Went to see him a couple times, but I didn't hang out all night and into the next morning like I used to. And he was still doing it. So we had to be a little distant from each other. Yeah, and his regret comes from the fact that he says he'd become disturbed at the changes that he saw in Entwistle. And uh, he says he was unsure how to respond. He says, I wasn't sure whether I should or even could confront him. Ultimately, I was never able to sit down with John and say to him, hey, man, you're effing up. Back in those days, I was still trying to figure out my own sobriety, and now, all these years later, I feel quite comfortable in telling somebody that I care about, listen up, because I know what I'm talking about. And uh, he talked about uh, the decline that he saw in Entwistle's physical condition. He said most of all with his hearing, but also in his mental state, he said he would slur his words and not be as concise with his thought processes. And from my perspective, Keith Moon had made up his mind that he was going to take everything as far as it would go, period. Maybe there's a bit of that in John, too. And he said after dinner on their last night together, Walsh returned to the Continental Hyatt Hotel, but didn't stay for long. He said, I left him thinking, Jesus, what has happened to my brother? And I also left him with a very bad feeling. And this is where he regrets now that he wasn't able to do more. And just based on that alone, this book seems like a must read. Yeah, it's called uh, The Ox, and it's actually authorized by Entwistle's family. So uh, if you want to get that uh, again, now is the perfect time. When you've got some time, pick up a copy of that book. I'm sure it's available digitally, and you can just grab a copy for your iPad or however you read your books nowadays, or maybe even place an online order, and it might take two weeks to get to you. But it's available, so yeah. check it out. And that is the Classic Rock Files. 94.3 The Drive Music Director, Mike Young. Thank you. Thank Thank you.